she's a story activist working with story in service of positive systemic shift and for focusing collective intelligence on critical issues she guides people to find and activate the story that will take them into a larger and more authentic future with story as an ally people become the visionary leaders change makers and paradigm shifters they want to be they learn to trust themselves and that makes them shine they know story is our lens on the world and determines our agency they have the knowledge and tools to change it for the better she is an internationally recognized process host building capacity for people to bring their stories to life and create change together with more than 25 years in practice she loves to work with small and large systemic stories holding keys for a more generative future she is a steward of art of hosting teaching participatory practice around the world and co-creator of the collective story harvest methodology mary alice arthur is the author of 365 alive find your voice claim your story live your brilliant life and she also hosts the story dojo an online community focused on the power and practice of story she works with individuals communities and organizations around the world you may visit her website www.getsoaring.com in fact we are going to publish this in the show notes as well in today's episode let's learn more about mary alice's journey in becoming a story activist and also an author and get her insights on storytelling what a better way of learning about storytelling from a story activist who has been practicing this for 25 years and i'm extremely thrilled This is the Guiding Voice podcast series TGV for a better future. This podcast is to help professional students, IT employees and entrepreneurs to shape their careers. Folks, in case if you haven't rated our podcast or reviewed our podcast, request you to provide your rating and leave a candid review because every rating and review will motivate us to bring in more and more useful content to you. This is your host Navin Samala and I have about 18 years of rich and diverse experience in the field of information technology. In every episode we interact with industry experts or thought leaders or academicians or coaches across the globe to drive some insightful conversations that will help each one of you learn some amazing stuff. Also, we share an interesting trivia or a fun fact towards the end. And you know, you'll acquire more knowledge by tuning into TGV per every minute than any other podcast in this space. Thank you so much for tuning in and today we are going to discuss a topic why storytelling is the difference that makes a difference and we are pleased to have mary alice part of tgv's journey in shaping the careers and lives of millions across the globe mary alice i'm extremely thrilled to have you part of tgv welcome to tgv thank you so much for your warm welcome it's lovely pleasure having you here and it's a kind of almost dream come true because when pankaj mentioned about uh, various forums that you are part of and the kind of initiatives that you lead i am extremely thrilled and it i couldn't stop pinging you and immediately I reached out to you and thanks <laughs> we are speaking live <laughs> yeah all right <laughs> so mary alice can we talk very briefly about your career journey and top 3 things that have helped you so far It's interesting to think about you can recognize a journey when you look back on it. 
not necessarily looking forward. And there's some people in the world who are very precise about what they want to do and who they want to be. And I I was not one of those people. (laughs) You know, I went to a management school, uh, but I wasn't the person who had the 10-year goals and was, you know, I knew what I wanted to be in 15 years and all that kind of stuff. Life has happened to me. And so I think one of the top things that is has actually helped me is being able to pay attention to serendipity. That may seem like a strange word, but this week I was talking to the former learning director of NASA, the space agency, and he said the intriguing thing about working with scientists is that if he looks back at some of the major achievements that organization has had, and there's been some big ones, and there's been some big failures too, that they've learned from. He said if if he tracks all of those stories, most of them come down to magic moments, serendipity that was unexpected. And yet the scientists want to explain it like a logical journey, you know, because that's what our rational brain wants to do. So if you pick up anybody's book about their life story, it sounds like a logical journey, but at the time, it actually was a myriad of tiny choices all those stories they told to themselves. So being able to pay attention to what's presenting itself, I think has been one of my my key things that's helped me. Secondly, to realize I live in a story and so I'm actually co-creating what's going on, even if I don't realize it in the moment. <laughs> and I think the third thing is to that I've really been attuned to relationship. So I do the kind of work that you don't buy off an advertisement. People have to have a measure of trust in they want to do and who they want to do it with and the idea that I might be the person they want to do it with. So there's something about relationship that's really important here too. Wow, very intriguing. I could relate completely with uh, topic number one or the first thing that you mentioned about paying attention to serendipity. In fact, the way this TGV has happened to us like Mm -hmm. 20 months ago, it's out of serendipity. (laughs) And the way things are turning out, in fact, I and Sudhakar, my co-host, had an opportunity to speak to amazing people which you never imagined, including you, right? <laughs> yeah, isn't that you fun? Isn't it? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. That, that idea of, hey, I could talk to anybody and life might change. Yeah. But part of that is following your intuition. I think intuition, and especially in these times that are, are challenging or strange, you know, it's being able to, to keep that basis inside of yourself of the, the small voice, you know, that not the one in the head that goes, who are you? What do you think you're doing? But the one that's going, hey, why don't you call so-and-so? You know, so there have been times when I've contacted somebody and they've said to me, oh, I was just thinking about you. And I was like, ah, my intuition is working, you know, and to to actually keep priming that. So women talk about intuition. Men talk about gut feeling. And Mm -hmm. a lot of most of the decisions of business are actually made from gut feel, although we like to justify them with logic. That's not, you know, if we made every decision from gut feeling, nobody would ever get married. (laughs) or fall in love with each other, or be attracted to something, or go traveling to another destination. We wouldn't do anything that was just spontaneous. But human beings are very oriented towards their feeling. In fact, I met a scientist once who said they were working on dense holograms. So uh, that means, I don't know if you've seen Star Trek The Next Generation or any of those those kind of space movies where the advisor of the ship shows up as a hologram, kind of in a 3D form. Yeah. But we, we actually tune into the electromagnetic emanations of each other. And he said, we're working on the ability to have you be sitting in front of the screen as we are sitting. And we've not met each other in person, yeah. right? Yeah. But even though I say, I want to get a feel for Naveen, that's actually physically what we do, right? We yeah. 
get a feel by tuning into the electromagnetic emanations. And he said they were working on putting those into reality so that we could sit mm -hmm. like this and feel each other. And I thought, I don't know if I should be happy or scared right now. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting times. <laughs> we are living in interesting times. All right. Yeah. Th thanks for sharing those stories. And now let's talk about you being a story activist, right? Mm -hmm. Would like to know from you, why, why does this storytelling have such an impact on people? We are attuned to stories from the time we're in the womb. Actually, scientists would say that children, uh, even in the fetal stage, are reacting to everything that happens around them. So we get attuned to stories. The kind of smallest stories are things like, dropped your glass and the milk spilled or the water spilled, whatever. And your mother, mother says, uh-oh, that's actually a story, right? Something happened. She's capturing that moment that something happened. So we get attuned to stories from a very, very young age. In fact, I have the oldest thing I have that belongs to my life is my baby book. When my mother had me, she actually spent a lot of time making notes, which was kind of fascinating. And she said, this child talks to herself and tells herself stories all the time. So it was pleasurable to read that about myself. I obviously started out at quite a young age deciding that stories were fantastic. So stories are the way that we capture the sense and meaning we make of the world. So I was in a, a forum yesterday, a town hall around storytelling, and, and people were saying to each other, the story isn't what happened to you. The story is the meaning you made out of what happened to you. So each of us has a lens on the world. It's like we're all wearing a different pair of sunglasses. <laughs> that may sound strange. But if you think about being in a meeting where something happens, something happening is just a space-time event, right? It doesn't mean anything until you put meaning on it. But I don't know if you've been in a meeting like this where somebody goes, well, it's about time that she spoke up. And the other one like, who does she think she is? And both of these people have experienced the same event but they're making different meaning out of it and their stories about it are going to be different. So we are attuned to stories. It's how we hold our sense and meaning. It's how we make sense of the world. And it also means that it, it really frames who we think we can be and what we can think we can do in the world. And I've realized over time that when people are in conflict, it's because of one of, one of two things. Either they think people are in the same story that they are and they're not, we assume everyone sees everything the same way we do. Or we think people are in the same place in the story as we are, and they're not. So you only have to look at all these change processes that are going on in organizations. And there's always somebody who says, why are people so resistant? It's because they're not in the same place in the story as you are. That's it. It's not a difficult thing. It's a challenging thing. It's a simple thing. It's not an easy thing. But to realize that, to realize that all of us use story to navigate our lives, and we're in different places of the navigation. We're in a different geography. And when you know what the geography of a story is, you know what to do. That's wonderful. Uh, story is not what happened to you, but the meaning that you made out of what happened to you. And uh, mm -hmm. I resonate with you on the change management process, like, maybe we are not aligned because we are not thinking about the same place, right? That's that that. Yeah, that's so profound. Thank you. Thank you for such an amazing insight. Now let's move on. You, are, you like to say this, we live in a story and that means we can change it. What do you mean by that, Mary Alice? 
Well, if we take on the fact that stories encapsulate our meaning and our sense of the world, then we could change what we decide is true. So, <laughs> I mean, this is a kind of a radical statement, but take this on for a moment, that everything is a story. What we think about gender roles, what we think about race, which scientists have told us does not exist. All human beings are 98% the same. It's only the 2% that makes you look different from me. And my hair do different things than your hair. It's not, you know, it's not a huge difference. On the inside, uh, it makes more difference whether you have the same blood type to me as whether you can be really helpful, you know. <laughs> like maybe I'm, your, I'm the person who's really your blood type match and woo. All of these things that we think about each other are simply stories. Our culture, our societies, what we think is right and wrong. And we can see in the world today, because all of these narratives are clashing, that we just have differences in our stories. So if we if we boil it down to the basic place, you know, we're not very much different. We're all storytelling creatures. It's what we decide to do with our stories that makes a difference. So when people say to me this thing, it's just the way things are, that makes my eyebrows go up a bit because <laughs> I think that's the story you're telling yourself now, but what if you changed it? So here's a here's an example of that. Um, my mother had a challenging childhood. Her mother died when she was five. Uh, and, and a flu epidemic, interestingly enough, now that we're in this pandemic time. And <clears throat> shortly thereafter, her younger brother died. Her mother was pregnant. So actually three, three lives oh. went out of the world at the same time. So my mother had a big sense of loss. And um, at one point in time, this was 1977, I think, her sister and her sister's husband, her only sister, died in a plane crash. He was piloting a small plane, fell out of the sky on a bright, sunshiny, blue day, blue sky day. No reason, really. And so suddenly, and then her father died, there were nobody. There was nobody. So she had a kind of profound story of loss. And we were traveling in the car together to a uh, national park. And she was once again telling the story of loss. And I thought to myself, wow, number one, I thought, I'm tired of hearing this. <laughs> you know, when you hear somebody's key story and you're going like, isn't yeah. there something that could change you? So I actually, I kind of looked at her and said, you know, I can hear that you've experienced a lot of loss. Could you also take on that this loss has profoundly shaped the strength that you have? It's made you stronger. It's made you really interested in relationship and connecting with people. It's made you who you are today. And at first, I felt like I was sitting next to a thundercloud. I thought my mother, she was driving at the time, and I thought she was going to stop the car and make me get out. <laughs> because this little piece of story shift was quite different than this story she'd been carrying and polishing for a long time. This is what happened to me, and this is what it means. And I'm offering a different perspective of what it means. So we drove on in stony silence for some time. <laughs> and... But I could tell she was processing it. And later in the day, I heard her say to somebody else, I, I think my past has made me stronger. So there we go. That's a, a tiny shift in a story that she's carrying, but a profound one, because we've shifted the meaning of what that story is about. So people who have faced challenges, abuse, loss, who are refugees, uh, I said once about the refugees coming to Europe. Is, are we being overrun by people, or is this the most fantastic earth shift in human talent we've ever experienced? It depends on what story we decide to tell around this. It is a space-time event, but we could decide what it means. So we have a capability, like right now we're in a pandemic as we're recording this. 
And, you know, one of the things I've been sad about is I've thought, this is a fantastic um, antagonist in story form. You know, we've had a lot of movies about how the world is attacked by aliens and suddenly we band together and, you know, okay, well, we've been attacked by an alien. Where's the banding together? I've been asking myself, we could change the way we look at this story. What does it mean? Maybe it means, hey, let me give you a big example of how we're all connected. This particular pandemic knows no boundaries. And the interesting thing is, for once in history, we are all in the same story together. Mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. That's really amazing. Yeah. What a perspective. I completely loved what you mentioned. In fact, uh, I think your mother must be very strong, right? She was able to refine the story and learn what whatever has happened. And in fact, it is very sad to hear that, but uh, she rose up to the challenge. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. Also, Mary Alice, I was going through some of your videos and uh, I found this thing. Like You keep saying this one. When you know your story, you can trust yourself. Why, why do you think it is important? You know, there's a lot of, we go back to that meeting where everybody experienced the same thing, but people respond quite differently. Depending on the story I'm carrying about my life, I could be triggered at any moment by something happening. So perhaps I'm carrying a story about what a leader is, and maybe I've experienced a bully as I have experienced a bully as a boss. So maybe when I think about manager, my my story is kind of negative. I don't know about you, but the, the worst thing I ever, I, I really don't like being um, asked is this question. Could could I see you in my office, please? <laughs> because suddenly my brain starts making up a big story. In fact, I've been, I've, somebody said that to me and I got a raise once. So it's, it's like, it's not all, it's not all bad. Uh, but when I know what my own personal material is, when I know these are things that trigger me or I have a story about this and I need to be careful not to be making an assumption onto another person because we use our story lens to try to make sense of the world. So you might say, oh, here's a person called Mary Alice. I've met one of those before and she was, oh my goodness, so this one might be the same. Or people who wear glasses or IT guys or you know whatever assumption. So you might say we're not stereotypers, we're actually stereotypers. We apply our stories to other people and a way to understand things. So the more I can understand about myself, the less triggered I am by somebody else. And the more I can be present and curious, I can be helpful. When I know more about myself, I know who I am. It gives me a rudder. That means I don't have to also, other people's assumptions don't hold sway over me because I know who I am. That allows me to be more curious about other people and let them be who they are. So, you know, when people say, Oh man, he's got he's got such a big ego. Not really. That means if somebody's really trying to control other people, their ego is too small, actually. Because if it were healthy, they wouldn't have to control other people. They'd let them be who they are. So when I know my own story, it can be my ally. It's not so if you can imagine you're driving down the street and you go like, wow, this is not a street I wanted to drive down. How did I get here? And then you look down and you realize I'm in the passenger side of the car. Who's driving? Oh, the story is driving. You know, it's like either you're driving or the story's driving. The more aware you are of your own story, the less it's driving, the more you're in in the driver's seat. If you're not aware of your story, then often it's driving you. Mm -hmm. So it's very important for us to know our story and then have a trust in yourself. Yes. And especially right now when we're facing so much challenge, the question is not how am I going to stand this? The question is who do I decide to be in the face of this challenge? That's all about your story. 
here comes my interesting question here. Uh, what are some other human powers that are close companions to the storytelling? Yeah, I often, I often say storytelling is a human superpower. It's it's the thing that we do because you know it's interesting to think of yourself as a mammal or think of yourself as a herd animal. That's <laughs> kind of not so fun, but that's actually what we are from a biological sense. The difference is that we tell stories, right? So another animal might go, "I see the I see the tracks here. Now where did that thing go? Because I want to eat it." We say, "We see the tracks. Why did it go from there to there? What's the story?" <laughs> So it's a superpower, but closely aligned to storytelling is listening. Listening is an incredible human superpower. In fact, storytelling can't happen without listening. It's the companion. It's the other side of the coin, the yin-yang, you know, that kind of stuff. This is the storytelling and story listening. And right now in the world, we don't have as much listening going on as would be helpful for us as human beings. I think that's why people are shouting louder, because they feel like they're not being listened to. But what I've noticed going into organizations is that so many people are like flowers in the desert waiting for the rain. You could say listening is love in action. And I once did a, a small, very unscientific survey <laughs> about what people wanted from leaders. And one of the things they wanted is their undivided attention. And not for a long time, just for a moment. Because for somebody to say, I see you, I value you, please be more of yourself, is what we are all waiting for. And when we have that, we blossom and we want to do even more. That's the key. So appreciation is one of the key ways that we can host somebody into their brilliance, actually. Because when you value something, you get more of it. So if I, we have just met each other, but if I knew you well enough to say, Naveen, here's a story I want to tell you about yourself, you would feel incredibly different about yourself and about our relationship and about who we are to each other. So story makes connection, first of all. So that's why it's incredibly important. It makes connection. It helps to bridge and make understanding. And listening is the way you can tell people you value them and you care about them, really listening to them. And so that makes the third one that I want to mention, questions, really important. If I listen to you and then I can ask you a question, you know I've listened to you because a question, is, a question is a leadership capacity. Uh, Peter Singer was quoted some years back saying, the role of the leader now is not to have the answers, but to hold the space for a bigger question. And a question can fundamentally change your life. Has done for me a few times. So being able to ask a good question is a superpower. And I think, especially for IT people, right? Because people come and they say, Okay, we want this. You know, here's, a, here's the magic thing that's going to solve everything. But if nobody asks the questions, then you start building something that isn't useful. Most of the time, the failures have been because nobody asked the question. So these three superpowers, storytelling, because when you can tell a good story, if I think of myself as an IT person, if I can tell a good story about why we're doing something and how we're going to do it and, and what it's going to take, the other person has the understanding to go there with me instead of complaining all the time or raking me over the coals when something doesn't work. If I can tell a compelling story about why these processes are not linear, and they're not, they look like they're all over the place. When you map out creativity, it looks like a, a mess. <laughs> when you write about it in a book afterwards, it looks like a straight line, right? That, that's only because we're using logic on it. But if I can tell a story about it, I can listen to them deeply enough that they feel engaged and part of something and know they can trust me and that I'll continue to, to ask the questions that are needed. 
maybe even the challenging ones, but those are good ones. And I can listen. All those things, put, put those three things together and you've got a powerhouse. That, that for me is, is what true leadership is about. Awesome. So listening with undivided attention, that will make you understand your own story and helps the leaders ask the right questions. That was a summary which I could interpret. Thank you. Thank you so much for that uh, profound statement. Now, let's talk about uh, this story activism part of it. So what do you mean by this story activism and what are some of the practices that you follow? I got the concept of story activism from an actor, which sounds kind of strange. I lived in New Zealand for almost 30 years and Cliff Curtis is a New Zealand actor. He's done a lot of work in Hollywood, but you wouldn't necessarily notice him because he's not not often the, the lead of something, um, but he's often the bad guy or he, you know, he's, he's a very good actor. But he said, I saw a little interview of him that said, people who tell stories are activists because a good story makes you want to do something. This is the power of story. It hits you in the head and the heart at the same time, and then it makes your hands want to do something. That's a good story. That's a compelling story. It'll make you want to take action. And I went, wow, okay, I'm a story activist. <laughs> Bing, I had one of those whoo, epiphany moments. So two parts of that. Number one, realizing that story, how story works, that it's working in us and around us and through us and between us all the time. It's like the chemical reaction in the background. When human beings get together, they trade stories. That's what they do. Uh, like if, you know, if, you, if your partner comes home from work, you say, honey, how was your day? You're probably not going to get, at 2.51, I did this. At 3.10, I did this. You're not going to get a laundry list. You're going to get a story because that's how we converse with each other. It's all wrapped up like that. So knowing how story works is really important and deciding to be conscious and aware of how it is working on you. So I have a, a friend who likes to say the most important real estate on the planet is what's between your ears. You can decide what you're going to let live rent-free in your head. So it's this is a moment in time in history, and especially the internet is a prime example of why discernment is really important. There's so much on the internet, so much information. Okay, how much of it is true and how much of it is valuable? And right at the moment, we are deluged by information, but that doesn't make it wisdom. However, the oldest stories that we have as a humanity are still around because they have a kernel of wisdom in them. If you look at the Upanishads, you look at the Ramayana, you look at any of these old stories, they have wisdom in it, that, and they're still here because they have that kernel in it that attracts us. We know that there's truth in there in the guise of a story. In fact, in our languages, we don't have any word that's not story. There's no word in the English language that is not story. Fiction, nonfiction, these are both stories, right? So it's interesting that this thing is so intrinsic to us. We're like the fish in water. We can't see it because we live in it. But a story activist is aware this is the water. So that old joke of the old fish swimming up to the new little fish going, how's the water, boys? And they're going, water, what's water? <laughs> you know, we need to be the older fish and go, okay, what's our story doing? And is it generative and helpful? So the activism part is about what stories do we choose to activate? When we pay attention to stories, when we share stories, we are activating them. It's like throwing a bunch of seeds out there. We need to choose what seeds we're going to spread around. And for me, it's about positive storytelling. It's about what stories 
can help us to live well together on this beautiful earth as a humanity. So not the divisive stories, not the ones about who we're not being or who's so awful. You know, so often people try to share their own pain by blaming somebody else. So how do I grow the resilience and the strength to own my own pain? This is about knowing my own story so that I don't try to share it with somebody else. I'm I'm meeting them as who they are and accepting them as who they are and helping them with their own story to turn it to a generative. So story activism is about how do I get conscious about and curious about stories? How do I learn some good story skills? How do I learn how to hold spaces where stories can be shared? What is mine to do? This question of, you know, the capable person, everybody wants them to do something, but I need to make a choice in my life of what is actually mine to do? What stories have my name on them? what action has my name on it, and to go there and do that with the greatest love I possibly can. And then the second part of the 10 practices around story activism is all about how do I find a team? How do I make sure, if I'm trying to help somebody, that their voice is there? So if it's about them, don't do it without them. You know, there's a lot of activity around children or around older people or around marginalized people where we're making decisions about them, but we're not asking them what they want. I have a friend who is a story worker who does work with lots of disaster areas. And he was he was in Japan shortly after the triple disaster. And he said what he learned from that experience. The key question is not what do you need for someone who's been in a, in a challenge or a trauma. The key question is what do you have? Because when you ask somebody what you have, that makes them an agent in their own transformation to the next part of their life instead of a victim of what just happened. So it's you know, like these stories are, I heard a journalist say that too. She said, I was in front of a woman who was homeless and I realized because she started to resist me that my questions were all about what a victim she was and she refused to be a victim. And she said, I learned something profound in that moment about what kind of stories I had decided to tell as a journalist and I changed what I was doing. It's interesting. I, I opening conversation and it was very mesmerizing to me. So, Mary this has been fabulous and let's add some spice to the episode. I would like to ask you a few interesting rapid fire questions so that our audience get to know other side of you. Are you okay for a quick rapid fire round? <laughs> sure, sure. All right. So, let me fire the first bullet. Given a chance to time travel, would you travel to past or future? <laughs> uh, well, I'm a Gemini, so I would have to say both. <laughs> you know, when people in the past have asked me, would you like cream or yogurt with that? I was, I would usually say yes. <laughs> so I think it would be, I have a sense. I don't know. My deep sense is, hey, it's all going to work out. You know, like we could learn to love each other. So I'd, I'd like to go to the future and see if my idea is right. And there are some people in the past I think would be wonderful to catch up with. Some of the great storytellers of all time. Wouldn't it be wonderful to sit at their feet for a moment and hear them? So I, I, I think there's no or here. It's an and. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Let me move on to my next one. What would you do if you won a $1 billion lottery? Ooh, one of the first things I do, I think I'd start a foundation. I'm part of the Art of Hosting Network, which is all about how do you host and harvest conversations that matter. And it's really attuned to the idea anybody can host a conversation and conversations are our medium of transformation. That's how we make change, by talking to each other. So if I had lots of money, I think I would invite as many people as possible to learn how to do that. And I think I learned through the story of Denmark going bankrupt in 1813. So I've, this is a big story I've studied because that moment in history 
made the golden age for Denmark. It made the time of Hans Christian Andersen and the philosophers Søren Kierkegaard and things like that. And I learned from that story a concept called Trojan mice. So Trojan mice means in the story of Denmark, Denmark was the first country in the world to create universal schooling for both boys and girls. And they, they did that after having no money. The king said, we might be poor, but we don't have to be stupid as well. <laughs> Which is, I, I think, kind of wise. And so the teachers that they trained kind of kept in touch with each other and they became like the first networked organization. And they fundamentally transformed the future of Denmark from being bankrupt to the country it is today. And so we know what a Trojan horse is. That's a huge, that's out of the Trojan War stories in Greece. And it's a huge thing. You can see it. It's right there. There's a bunch of guys in there. They're going to pop out later on. But a Trojan mouse is, is kind of like, you know, if I can imagine my little, my mouse here from my computer, you don't notice it. It's kind of in the room with you, but it can help you make big change if it stays connected to something else. And so people are like that too. We can make a lot of change without people noticing that change is happening if we stay together and we support each other and we uplift each other. So I would spend my money doing that. You are on a noble mission and I'm <laughs> sure uh, <laughs> you, you get more power uh, to uh, have those kind of conversations and I really wish you win this $1 million lottery. <laughs> Me too. Or maybe there's a, an IT billionaire listening who wants to help us. This would be really nice. <laughs> we see you out there. <laughs> That's interesting. All right. Moving on to my next one. So, Mary Alice, what would be one random skill that you would like to learn? That is an interesting, I, I would really, I have a lot of colleagues who are graphic facilitators. Their ability to draw something and capture the story in their drawing is so magnificent. And I like doodling with my colored pencils and things like that. But I think I would, if I could learn how to do that kind of thing, because I think stories and images have been the human capacity for a long time. You know, if you look at the paintings on cave walls and you look at you know, art, art is so fantastic. So any kind of art... Because art is storytelling in a different form. I would do it. You know, in, you know, in the Matrix when they say, okay, it's the red pill or the blue pill, you know. If, and if you said to me, the red pill was all the physical prowess in the world. You could be a great acrobat. You could be a great gymnast. You could be a magnificent dancer, whatever. And, or you could be hip hop, you could, whatever. And the other one is the, the blue pill is about all the languages in the world. I would take the blue pill every time. Because to be able to know the depth of all the languages would be my, my love. Because there's a beauty in every language that is unique and remarkable and captures something. Like there's a, an amazing set of words in Lithuanian. One of them is bechules. And bechules is the art of sharing bees. An interesting cultural thing, sharing the sweetness of life. I think it's beautiful. And there's no word in the English language that does that. Although English has gone around the world and tried to gobble up every other language. But no, that's why we need all the diversity, because there's something special in it. There are more than 30 words for snow in, in the Inuit languages. There's more that many words for the individual in Japanese. Different ways to look at that. I'm sure the Hindi and all the other languages have amazing things to share. So besides doodling, I'd like to have all the languages. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, can, you, can you make that happen? I, I'd like that a lot. <laughs> I can only wish on behalf of you. <laughs> oh, thank you. If I ever get to the Matrix, that will be my wish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving every bit of it. In fact, uh, I think I have a lot of homework because I would like to acquire as much information as you have acquired. 
it is really fascinating to see all the topics the gamut of topics that you are covering right because i think you have acquired a lot of wisdom and truly loving every bit of it now let me move on to my next question what is the funniest moment in your life so far interestingly and i i can't think of a funniest moment but i here's my hot tip to people if it feels really hard for you at any moment in time hang on to the idea that eventually this will make a very good story That's what I do. If I remember the moment, why did I decide to do this? I go, this is going to make a good story eventually. So I was in Zimbabwe mm-hmm. in the 90s. This was a time when the border was quite strictly controlled. And if you had any money, you had to leave it in Zimbabwe if you went over the border for a moment. So that, but the, I was, I was at it. I just, I don't know why I decided, oh, let's, let's have another p- stamp in my passport or something. So I walked into the neighboring country and i found myself in this kind of piece of no man's land incredibly hot i was at the falls on the river there the place where zimbabweans call the zambezi river the smoke that thundered it's amazing looking and i don't know why i didn't stay at the falls where the, all the water was but i walked over the border leaving all my money there and it was so hot and it was so dreadful and i finally went what are you doing and i turned around to go back when suddenly i heard behind myself madam madam uh oh So I start walking faster. I'm trying to walk faster. Madam, madam, behind me like that, like this. And I and suddenly these two guys come up on either side of me. And one of them is carrying a carving of a giraffe that is taller than me, and I'm almost six feet tall, so it was like big. Seven foot. Madam, and what they asked me to do is like, can you please help us get over the border with our carving so we can make some money? So I was like, you're asking me to traffic, but I went, okay. I said as long as I don't have to touch it you can come with me. So <laughs> we we went over the border. I trafficked a giraffe over the border. And when we got over the border they went their separate ways and I went my way, you know. But so it it turns out to be a funny story but at the time it was like I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> but I can imagine. I, yeah, I think what what responded in me is these are people who need my help and I can do this. So okay. <laughs> it's it's funny now it was not funny at the time. <laughs> Great. All right. So let me move on to my last bullet out of the rapid fire. What is one electronic gadget or tool that you like to see, Mary Alice? Here's an interesting thing I learned from a story point of view is that it used to be what they call the Jules Verne effect. So Jules Verne wrote many fantasy novels where the readers were so enthused with the the concepts he invented, they started to create those. And now they call it the Star Trek effect. So the kind of things you see on star trek and those kind of movies young people around the world will make those happen but what i love in the like in the avenger movies is when tony stark uh, pulls up the screen and and they can go through you know make the screen move and stuff and it just appears like a hologram in front of you guys like i want one of those so you got you guys out there listening i'm sure you can do this you have the talent i want to have one of those kind of screens where i can pull up my screen anywhere in front of me in the air and and do the work <laughs> it's great to imagine in fact um, probably that might come alive as well in next uh, decade or so <laughs> do you know when i saw what was the movie it was a movie that had had tom cruise in it the minority report it was called minority uh-huh. report this was about a set in 2051 where uh, psychics would know when you were about to commit a crime and they would arrest you before you committed it and he wore a pair of gloves that just covered his first two the thumb and the first finger and he swiped these these pictures that were coming out of the minds of the psychics and i remember coming out of that movie and i looked at my phone and i looked at my ipod and i went someday these two things are going to go together and we'll be able to pay the taxi with it 
and that's exactly what's happened. Yeah. So it's interesting to go, people are creating that stuff out there and eventually it will become real. Real. Many of the science fiction movies and the fantasy movies that we have watched, right? Some of them are already alive, right? Uh, in terms of the technology coming to reality and all. I so wish, what, uh, what I hope for is that instead of, you know, the problem is that they make these po- post-apocalyptic movies look very sexy. Like The Matrix looks very sexy, but I wouldn't want to live there. So I want to have these kind of fun things, but I want us to live well together. So I'm, I'm, I'm more for the happy end for me. All right. That was a superb, superb rapid fire round. With that, let me flip back to the mainstream and ask you one final question for this session. So, Mary Alice, what would be one piece of advice that you'd like to give to those aspiring to make big in their careers? Find what you are truly good at, where the intersection of your love and your skill meets the needs of the world. So what are you truly good at? What do you love to do? And then focus on serving, serve people. When those things come together, you are an irresistibly magnetic force. And you know, Rumi, Rumi said, I like, I like how he said this, be yourself, everyone else is taken. You know, this is not about aspiring to be somebody else. This is about aspiring to be the best you you can be. And you know what? The world needs you. We need you. We don't need some carbon copy of somebody else. We need you to be who you were here to be and do the to be the best of that you can possibly be. We're waiting for you and I'm at your back. <laughs> Very inspiring thoughts and I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. So Mirielis, thank you so much for being part of our journey and it was a real pleasure hosting you on TGV. Thank you for being part of our journey in shaping the careers and lives of millions across the globe. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. All right. So pleasure hosting you. So folks, before we move into the trivia section, here is a small request to all of you. If you have loved this episode and found it useful, request you to share with at least three of your friends or colleagues who can benefit from TGV. And not only that, we would like to hear from you on what kind of topics that you would like to cover us in future episodes. So you may drop us a note at our email address, theguidingvoice for you at gmail.com or you may reach out to us on various social media platforms. So thank you so much in advance. All right. So it brings us to the trivia segment of today's episode. And today's trivia is about storytelling. You know, Albert Einstein was a big, big fan of fairy tales. And he once said, if you want your children to be intelligent, read them fairy tales. And if you want them to be more intelligent, read them more fairy tales. And Einstein was all about imagination. So I'll leave up to your imagination in terms of what kind of stories might have inspired him to create so many inventions that are helping each one of us today. And also, I'd like to hear from each one of you on what's your take on storytelling, how storytelling has helped you in your career or businesses. And please do share with us if you are watching this on YouTube in the form of YouTube comments or reach out to our social media. We'll be happy to respond to those comments in the future episodes. That's all for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. There is more in store, folks. Stay tuned. Until next time, bye-bye. See you all in the next episode with another wonderful guest and cover another interesting topic.